Good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to see everyone this morning. Happy Father's Day again. Um, best way I can think of in celebrating Father's Day and Father's fatherhood is to read the Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you to church, then um, go ahead and point that Bible to John chapter 18. We work through books of the Bible here a little bit at a time. We've made it all the way to chapter 18 in the Gospel of John. Today we are in John 18, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab a one from the pew ahead of you. It's hard back and black. And you'll find our reading this morning on page 904 of that Bible. If you're not used to using the Bible, uh, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the little numbers are the verse numbers. You'll find verse 12 on the left-hand side of the middle middle of the left-hand side. And if you don't own a Bible, by the way, uh, please take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you. John chapter 18, I'll go ahead and read the passage, and then I'll pray, ask for the Lord's help. And then uh, we'll get to work. should be 45 minutes or so. So you're welcome to follow along in the backside of your worship guide. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. So is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bowed to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He denied it. And said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Would you pray with me? Holy Father in heaven, Great is your faithfulness. 
Let God be true, though every man be a liar. Father, I'm asking you for your filling of your spirit this morning to speak your word to your people, to equip them for your service, to be like your son. And yet I'm weak. And yet my words do not have eternal life. Yours are the words of eternal life. And so would you speak to us, your humble servants, your word, and equip us to be like Jesus. Enable us to see where we are like Peter, failing in our witness. And strengthen us and encourage us and enable us to be faithful for Jesus' sake. Amen. In the 2000s, MTV had a show called Cribs. Y'all remember that show? It featured um, tours of mansions or cribs of celebrities. It was a popular show, and it hit some controversy when it was learned that a number of the celebrities lied about their homes and their car collections. Some of their cribs happened to be rentals. Some of the supercar collections were on loan for the show. In fact, some celebrities were touring their crib for the first time while filming. It turns out television magic is anything but. Well, it's not just MTV. The same sort of television trickery was shared by NBC News anchor Brian Williams, who a few years ago, you may remember, lied about being attacked while riding in a helicopter during the Iraq war. The host of one of my favorite survivalist shows has been seen frequenting hotels at night. Friends, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but not everything you see on TV is true. But let's not be too hard on TV producers. Uh, Non-celebrities like us, we often project images of ourselves which don't always correspond to reality. Someone's Facebook self is not likely their real self, but instead a a glossy avatar, um, a manicured projection. It's themselves, but it's them with a veneer, a veneer and a duck face. Why do we do this? Rappers show their fake Ferrari collection to make viewers believe they're richer than they really are. A news anchor may misreport danger to make his viewers believe he's braver than he is. Instagram photos staged to make followers believe our life is cleaner than it is. Hashtag real life. However, when the cameras are off, so are the actors. Well, the Bible is an honest book, and the heroes in the Bible are often anti-heroes. Bravery is often found to be bravado, devotion regularly skin deep. Well, this is the oft-repeated plight of man. Self-reliance is guaranteed peril. Or to use the Bible's own language, pride goes before destruction. And God, 
in His unceasing kindness, will use the least severe means to rid His people of that deadly pride and that destructive self-reliance. He'll use many things, a thorn in the flesh, a wicked king, a mouthy prophet, a wicked king's wife, a boy the slingshot, really anything to teach his people that while some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, God's people trust in the name of the Lord. The narrative arc of the Bible is that God is the only certainty and that our only safe refuge is Christ. Those who trust in themselves or anything else fall. Life is built to send the wise person running away from anything but God and on to the cross where they cling. This is why Christians for over 150 years have loved singing the words of the old Baptist preacher Edward Mote, On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And to that end, the gospel writer John gives us an example from our brother-in-arms, Simon Peter. John provides a telling contrast between that man and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we face Peter's failed witness and Jesus' faithful witness. There's much in this passage to sober the foolhardy among us, much to sober the self-reliant within us, But before we unpack this passage, I need to do a safety check. As we read this again, you must listen, and you must heed these words, and you must read carefully. There are caution signs all over this passage. Our pride-filled, self-sufficient hearts are quick to neglect the blinking lights of danger when we read of Peter's failure, or when we hear of a person's addiction. Or when we witness our brother's sin. Or when we watch a preacher disqualify himself. Or when we see entire churches turn away from the truth. Or entire denominations turn away from the truth. We must tread lightly here. Lest we fall into that most grievous error that many, many mature Christians fall into. Which is thinking to yourself... I would never do that. Fellow Christian, tell your prideful heart this morning, you have been warned. Here's the big idea this morning. Peter's failed witness and Jesus' faithful witness teaches us the ongoing need to trust in Christ alone. Peter's failed witness and Jesus' faithful witness teaches us of the ongoing need to trust in Christ alone alone. Let's get started. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captains, the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So I priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So a bit of setting here. If you recall from last Sunday, they arrested Jesus under the cover of night lanterns and torches and swords, a mob of trained soldiers and religious officials invaded a peaceful garden to arrest a peaceful man. 
One of Jesus Christ's own disciples led them to him. And Jesus would go with that mob. But he was not surprised by Judas' betrayal. And he was not driven by the threat of their blades. And he wasn't held captive to them by their ropes. No one was taking Jesus' life. He was laying it down of his own accord. And while it may seem in this passage that Jesus is the one being led, but make no mistake, Jesus is the one doing the leading here. When this hateful band comes to him, Jesus steps forward. Because that's what God's man does when danger comes. He steps forward. And he says, whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I am he. And when Jesus said, I am he, a tiny sliver of his godness came out and knocked that mob to the ground, scampering for their tiny weapons. Well, Peter swung his sword and cut a dude's ear off, and Jesus had to stick it back on. All of this is a reminder to Judas and to all who Jesus was, who they were presuming to arrest. They had no warrant, for Jesus had done nothing wrong. Besides this, He was God, the Son of God. He was slightly outside their jurisdiction. But nevertheless, He went with them. Every step taking him closer to the cross, which is the reason he came. First, they took him to a man named Annas. Annas used to be the high priest. He still was, but he used to be too. That's a little confusing. But according to Jewish law, a high priest was appointed for life. And the Jews were under Roman rule, and occasionally the Romans would come in and decide they didn't like the high priest, that guy, so they'd appoint another one. Well, that's what happened to old Annas. Some years ago, he was the high priest for like a decade or something when Jesus was a kid. But he fell out of favor with Rome and they deposed him. And the high priest that year was Annas' own son-in-law, a man named Caiaphas. But still, Annas held some influence and they still called him high priest. It's sort of like we still call former presidents Mr. President even after they've left office. Caiaphas is a man we've met before. Back in chapter 11, people were scheming to kill Jesus. As he was growing in popularity, they became concerned that Rome would come in and take away their place and their nation. So Caiaphas stepped forward and said, it's better that one man should die. It's more expedient that one man should die than the whole nation perish. And so they, at that point, back there in chapter 11, they were looking for a way to kill this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that way found them from the most unlikely of sources, a late evening visit from one of Jesus' own, a zealot named Judas Iscariot. That night, they made a hurried arrangement with Judas. They'd give him silver. He'd give them Jesus. And a few hours later, Judas delivered. And Jesus of Nazareth, the one man who would die for the people, stood in the courtyard of the high priest on the night before Passover. Now, there's one more helpful thing to note as a setting of this passage. These two scenes, Jesus' trial and Peter's denial, they're happening at the same time. So sort of like when you watch a movie and the director puts a split screen to show you two events happening simultaneously. Jesus' trial, Peter's denial happening at the very same time. So while Peter is denying Jesus, Jesus is remaining faithful before his father. These two things are happening at the same time. 
Verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watching the door, and they brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Two disciples followed the soldiers, officers, to the courtyard of the high priest. The soldiers disband and go back to their barracks, and the officers take Jesus into the courtyard. High priests in those days lived in housing outside of the temple grounds in several homes which shared a walled-in courtyard. When they get there, the unnamed disciple goes in because he knew the high priest. But Peter stayed outside. So the other disciple has to turn around and come back and get him. The other disciple, by the way, is not named here. Traditionally, we, we, theologians and commentators have believed it to be the gospel writer John, the author of this book. There's a number of reasons for this. One of the reasons is some of the details are just have to be an eyewitness. Like he notices that it's a charcoal fire that they make. It's something only an eyewitness would have known. Whoever it was, he was a disciple of Jesus and a friend of the high priest. And using his relationship to the high priest, he asked them to let Peter inside. So a servant girl who was there watching the door lets Peter in. And she asks him, verse 17, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Simon Peter says, I am not. Now notice the girl says, you also, which which seems that she knew that the other disciple knew, knew, she knew that he was a follower of Jesus. And so here he is, Simon Peter, with the Lord tied up in ropes, facing the powers of the high priest in an unfamiliar place. Peter's confidence breaks, and he denies even being a follower of Jesus. How surprising this is to read about old Simon Peter. He was the bold one, the brave one, the leader, Jesus' right-hand man. He is the one who gave the great confession upon which Christ would build His church. He was the one who stepped out on the water with Jesus. He's the one who moments ago was swinging a sword for Jesus. Just hours before this event, Peter promised Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I will even die for you. Something's changed. Seeing Jesus bound, feeling impotent, helpless, facing the power structures of man, the source of Peter's confidence is exposed. When Peter told Jesus, I will follow you anywhere, I think he was being sincere. I think he really believed that he would die for Jesus. But Jesus knew Peter's confidence was misplaced. That's why Jesus replied to Peter's promise, Will you lay down your life for me? I tell you, truly, truly, I tell you, this very night, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. 
Well, this, this is one. Jesus' betrayal and arrest shook Peter to his core. It was an earthquake that exposed a frail foundation. Crises do this. The rains and the winds and the floodwaters of disaster expose the sources of our confidence. And what appeared to be in Peter a rock turned out to be spray-painted styrofoam. How hard it is, how hard it is to trust a sovereign God with a sword on your hip. And Peter's exposed, trusting in the wrong thing. Did you notice that when the, when the soldiers came to the garden, Peter came out swinging? But when a servant girl asked him about Jesus, he caved. For many of us, the initial wind gust of tragedy is relatively easily managed. We just buckle down, grin and bear it. I have found it much easier to be a Christian in the hospital than in the break room. It's waiting through those long nights, those long, cold nights when you get asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Many of us are quick to confess, I'm a Christian. But when tested by unanswered prayers, or co-workers who dislike us, or brothers and sisters in Christ who offend us, or when your political party deviates from God's Word, that's when you're asked to put feet to that confession and follow Jesus. Conflict opens the door and asks, you're not one of His disciples, are you? Conflict calls us to the mat and says, show me your faith by your works. Strife in your family asks you, are you one of His? Doing a job that you dislike asks you, Are you one of His? Every time you get paid, you're answering, Are you one of His? Sunday morning is not the only time that you show that you're one of His. That showing comes on Monday when you go to work. On Tuesday night when you do a Bible study with your children. On Thursday when you call a believer to encourage her. On Saturday evening when you take your spouse on a date. It's the quietest times when that question is the loudest. You're not one of his disciples, are you? I'm thankful for the many examples that God has given to this church of those who have feet under their confession. I'm encouraged by a sister whose father is terribly sick continues to share the gospel with him, trusting the Lord, faithfulness, patience. 
I'm encouraged by the ministry of strong, able, Bible-saturated women in this church. I'm encouraged by the young couple who's seeking help for their marriage and growing in grace. I'm encouraged by those who've had to engage in hard conversations with a sister in the Lord, call them on their sin, call them to repent. I'm encouraged by those who have opened their homes up to Bible studies and showed hospitality. I'm encouraged by those who've trusted the Lord and joined the church, even after being wounded, burnt by one in the past. Simon Peter is a sobering example to all of us. And I think if we're honest, we all feel the pull of verse 18. Take a look at it again. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with him, standing and warming himself. Following Jesus is sometimes cold and confusing. Sometimes it feels like God is asking too much of us. Don't you feel the pull to blend in? To not make waves? To just stand around like everyone else around a warm fire? To want to experience the ease and seeming pleasures that everyone else does? Well, if that's you, you'll find in a few moments that that nagging question will find you there at the charcoal fire. You're not one of this man's disciples, are you? Like any master storyteller, John leaves Peter in the courtyard and the camera fades and it opens up on the scene with Jesus facing his accusers. As to give us this cold contrast between Peter's failure and Jesus' faithfulness. So we'll take a look in verse 19 down to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come to gather. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. So is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, then why do you strike me? And then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Everything in this trial is wrong. Everything. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, Richard Phillips lists six reasons that this is an illegal trial. Number one, Jesus is arrested without proper charges based on a witness who had been bribed. Number two, he was tried during the nighttime, which required, the law required daytime proceedings for capital cases. Number three, this was not the testimony in, there was no testimony in favor of the accused. None was sought, none was permitted. Number four, Jesus was directly examined, called upon to testify against himself. Number five, Jesus is confined by unanimous vote. That was, in the eyes of the law, considered evidence of a biased court. And lastly, Jewish law was built on mercy. And the courts were called upon to do everything they could to exonerate the accused. The point of that is that this is not a trial. 
This is conspiracy to murder. I thank God that in this country, the justice system is, for the most part, it maintains an innocent until proven guilty. But as Christians, we ought to be acutely sensitive to injustices in every form, specifically in the criminal justice system. And we ought to continue to pray, as we have this morning, that God would install Christian witness in the Justice Department to ensure fairness for the poor, fairness for minorities, fairness for immigrants, fairness for anyone who's been disempowered. John is highlighting the faithfulness of Jesus' witness. They ask him about his disciples. And they ask him about his teaching. And I want you to notice, he says nothing of his disciples. Here he is bound and accused. He's still protecting them. He's still keeping the promise that he made to his father in chapter 17. I won't lose any one of them. There's two of them in the courtyard. One of those two is denying him at this very moment. And still... The Lord draws fire on Himself. Still, our Lord places Himself between His disciples and danger. Notice as His defense, Jesus points to the ministry of the Word in verse 20. I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I've said nothing in secret so why do you ask me? Ask those whom, who've heard me. Ask them what I said. They'll tell you. For three years, Jesus had taught the people everything the Father had given him to teach. And he tells the high priest, all that you need to know can be found in my word. My people will tell you. Well, he knows that the high priest is not asking for theological clarity. The high priest is not looking for a middle-of-the-night Bible study about why the prophet Jeremiah hid his underwear. He has no interest in learning anything from Jesus. He is seeking for a reason to justify this illegal arrest. Jesus could have backpedaled. He was sleepless. His hands were bound. He was facing the vitriol of powerful men. He could have repudiated some teaching, or he could have explained it away. Well, I didn't mean that literally. That that, that was just a, a cultural thing. You had to be there. All you guys know, you're on a journey. You're on a journey, and you'll find the truth. I don't expect you guys to believe it just because I said it. Search it out. Find for yourself. Do your journey. No, he's not backpedaling. He's not explaining it away. He's remaining faithful. And he stood by what the Father told him to say. He trusts the Lord. He trusts that God's word will accomplish the thing that God sets it out to do. Even when, especially when, it meets resistance. And with that, a hand which he made, moved along by muscle fibers that he strung together, slapped 
the creator of the universe in his sinless face. Verse 23, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, then why do you strike me? If my word is wrong, then show me. But if it's right, then why would you hit me? Jesus is the one on trial, and yet, notice, he's the one asking the questions. Isn't this because he's not the one on trial, really? But it's his accusers who are on trial. Though he's the one tied up in ropes, they are the ones who are bound. So they move Jesus to Caiaphas, and John shifts our attention back to Simon Peter, where we find him where we left him, still warming himself by the fire, doing his best to blend in. And this is where we'll end. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. I'm sure you noticed the verse in, in verse 25, the question there is the same question the, the servant girl asked him. I don't think that's an accident. Peter's response is the same response. I don't think that's an accident either. In the garden, when Jesus was asked, he stepped forward and he said, I am he. But in the courtyard, when Peter was asked, he stepped backwards and said, I am not. Peter's response, while it's tragic, teaches us something that you and I have to keep in mind every day of our lives. Jesus is, I am not. Jesus did, I did not. You may have heard it said that God will never give you anything that you can't handle. Friends, the only thing God gives you are things you can't handle. That's the point. Life is built to show us, as often as necessary, that Jesus is and we are not. The essence of the good news of Christianity is that what has been required of you as a human to be a good person, to go to heaven, you haven't done, you can't do. So Jesus did. And His doing is gifted to you by faith. How much time have we all wasted in difficulty and danger, desperate to prove, I am! All the while, the Lord using the least severe means to show us, no, you're not. To wean us off of our self-reliance and on to trust in Christ. The righteousness that we needed in order to have peace with God. You are not, but Jesus is. The strength needed to overcome temptation. You are not, 
But Jesus is. The good person that you need to be, you're not. But Jesus is. This is what Peter needed to know. The tragic plight of Simon Peter is our plight too. We have all trusted in ourselves that we are righteous. We've all trusted that we're good enough. We've all made our own case. And we all need to know we are not. Jesus is. My non-Christian friend, I'm glad that you came to church today. This message is sent to you by God to let you know that you're not as good as you think. Like Peter, your confidence is unfounded. And God sees through that veneer. Under the surface, you're just like all of us here. Sinners in need of grace. All of us, Simon Peters, self-reliant, self-deceived, deniers of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you after the service today to take someone who looks like a regular by the hand and ask them how to have peace with Jesus. These are my friends, and I know that they'd be happy to tell you how. I pray you do that today. Cornerstone, do you see how Peter's failed witness and the Lord's faithful witness shows our ongoing need to trust in Christ? Do you see how we must acknowledge our inadequacy because before we can ever understand His sufficiency? We could kick against the tires of a broke down car or we could thank the Lord for reminding us how little we control you could quit your job if you don't get promoted or you could trust the faithfulness of God and his plan you could build a wall against your spouse or you can trust the Lord to heal your heart when he wounds it. You could look down on the sinfulness of others. Or you could admit that you're just as sinful as they are and stoop down and help them. Simon Peter's story doesn't end here in John 18. And that's because Jesus' story doesn't end here in John 18 either. Jesus is sentenced to death. He goes to the cross. He's murdered and laid into a tomb. And three days later, on Sunday morning, He rises from the dead. And when the ladies run to the tomb on Sunday morning, they found it empty of the body of Jesus. But there they found an angel from God who said this to them. Listen. He has risen. He is not here. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples. Tell Peter. Make sure Peter knows he's still mine. Though he has rejected me, I have not rejected him. 
where he has failed, I have succeeded. And he has my righteousness as his own by faith. Tell Peter that though he is not, I am. Whatever your sin, my friend, whatever your rejection of Christ by word or deed or both, if you turn to the Lord in faith, trusting in Christ, you'll find, as Peter did, he hasn't rejected you. When the time comes for you to stand before God and give account for your life, and the question is asked, why are you here? Are you the righteous one who through her good deeds proves she has a right to be in the glory of heaven? I trust your answer will be the same as many here. I am not, but Jesus is. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in a righteousness not my own. Faultless I stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the prayer of confession. At the end of our services, we take a moment and we, we go to the Lord in prayer again, confessing from the text that we have read our sins as He has addressed them. And we ask the Lord to have mercy on us. And so if you would, please bow your hearts in prayer as we pray together the prayer of confession. Holy Father in heaven, God of all wonder and glory, Creator and sustainer. You've been so gracious to us this morning. You have revealed to us your precious Son, our perfect Savior. We have seen Him and know how good He is. Lord, with Peter we find wicked fellowship. We see in that brother an image of ourselves. We see in our own prideful hearts self-reliance. And your word has stripped away the fake veneer and left us naked and powerless. We thank you for this kindness, for exposing our sin, our greatest sickness, our most deadly disease. What mercy you have shown to those who have spurned you. So, Father, we ask that you would forgive us of this sin. Will you forgive us, your people, for having relied on ourselves instead of your plan? For drawing swords when we ought to have laid them down. For opening our mouths in retaliation when we should have remained quiet in submission. Forgive us, God, for not trusting in you but in trusting in horses and chariots and the power structures of man. 
Forgive us for having trusted in governments and armies, weapons, instead of you. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for his faithful witness in our place. We thank you for putting him forward for us to do what we didn't, to die as we should. Thank you for enabling us to trust Him and for dressing us in His righteousness. We pray that you would continue to enable us to trust Him in all things and at all times, in the hard times, and especially the easy ones. Make us a people worthy to carry His name. Thank you for hearing our prayers. For Jesus' sake we ask.